Now I'm more okay with that, of course. Six six years of being a full-time weirdo, I've come to terms with it. All right, number five. And you, five. sir, are a weirdo, yes. <laughs> hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Lifestyle Business Podcast. This is the show where we believe building the business is the best way to create more personal freedom and opportunity in your life. Today, I'm joined by my captain, my co-host, a man so obsessed with business that if you asked him if he likes The Wire, he'd say he's happy it went through on time. How do you, how do you <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Actually, I haven't I haven't watched too many episodes of The Wire, Dan. Uh, people tell me they're good, but I just don't I don't know about the TVs. Do you watch the TVs? Uh, you know, someone sat me down literally for like a half an hour and tried to convince me to watch The Wire, and I just I sort of said the same thing. If you guys stick around to the end of the show, we are going to talk about the uh, uh, business rocket fuel or kryptonite. We've got to talk about business partnerships. We've got to have an intervention because strategic partnerships, partnerships like we've got, equity you know, arrangements, they're absolutely, they can make or break a business. And we've got to talk about how to do them right. All right, but first, let's talk about the news. Uh, I just want to take a, a brief moment to wish happy 4th of July to all our fellow Americans, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big day. I, I feel like we invented the firework. I'll, I'll have to Wikipedia that. Well, that's, see, that's I very... I know the Chinese make it, but that's, I feel like we invented it. <laughs> that's, that's very uh, American of us. We believe that anything good we've invented, it's sort of like, you know, all the good Canadian actors are actually Americans. <laughs> yeah. Dan Aykroyd, he's American, right? He's American now. If he okay. wasn't before, he certainly is now. Uh, hey, I'm in the Philippines, man. I got to tell you what, I'm a Rolling Stone. I love living out of hotels. I think it's the rock star dream still. I uh, couldn't help but to get on an airplane, and I want to give a big thanks to Chris Ducker. I'm actually in one of his conference rooms right now. Uh, his co-working space, Location 63, is fabulous if you're ever in Cebu City. Um, yeah, Chris, you know, he's such an inspiring guy to meet up with, and uh, always have a blast meeting with Chris. And also met up with Dan Taylor. Um he mentioned in the DC that he's going to be down here in Cebu and uh, just having a blast learning so much about throwing events. Dan Taylor, a cornucopia of entrepreneurial information. Uh, no blog. So I'm on him about that. You got to get the, on the blogs, Dan. Just absolutely love talking to you. So uh, we're going to have Dan Taylor on Tropical Talk Radio tomorrow. And speaking of Tropical MBA, we are hiring. What? That's right. Uh, we... Uh, had a phone call last week with Taylor, our director of marketing, and we just like, man, we need to grow the team. We need to get another smart person on. So if you're interested in coming to work for the boss man in particular, uh, this person will have a direct the red phone to Ian's desk. Check out Tropical MBA and uh, give us an application. That's right. Really looking forward to uh, filling this new position. And uh, hopefully this person is going to be hanging out with us a lot in Vietnam. Yeah. So that's where the job will start. And then from there, who knows where to go? Hey, we got a great picture from Mark all the way from Rio de Janeiro. That's probably the most beautiful one we've received so far. Do check out the blog. And we love to receive your pictures to see LBP listeners uh, listening to the show all around the world. We've got a great five-star review this week. From Sylvan and Toronto, six plus, something is wrong. 
I'm trying to enter six stars, but iTunes only allows five. I've been in business for over 20 years, and it's frustrating that these whippersnappers can still teach me a lot. They have a natural way of explaining business processes, even though I still need to look up some of their modern lingo in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know it's it's a mixture of new lingo and just not understanding the English language that well. Yet and enough. making up our own words, yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for the iTunes reviews. Of course, Ian does work for iTunes reviews. Five uh, stars only, baby. <laughs> All right, so let's get moving on to the meat and potatoes this week, Ian. It's LBP one sixty three. That rhymes. The Bootstrapper's Guide to Business Partnerships. All right, so why are we talking about this this week? This is one of the most widely misunderstood topics in lifestyle business space. So we're talking about bootstrappers, right? We're talking about people who are investing their time in order to get a business off the ground, maybe some of their hard-earned capital. We're not talking about venture capital startups to read about in TechCrunch where you know everybody and their brother gets an equity cut for showing up at a meeting one time and talking about a Python script, you know? This is, we're talking about hard-earned, hard-won, bootstrapping small businesses. And I do think that there is a lot of conflation between the startup space where nobody wins, everybody loses unless it's a 10x big grand slam, and the bootstrapping space, you know, which is where what we talk about here, which is what's talked about on startups for the rest of us, where we're trying to grow great businesses and build wealth vis-a-vis uh, -vis our time and, and maybe a limited uh, investment. We're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes we see, and then we're going to try to provide some solutions, right? Toss out some unique ways in which we would approach this stuff because, you know, look, a partnership is a huge opportunity. I do think if you have limited resources, figuring out a clever way to get into a partnership can be a great way to start your entrepreneurial career. So we're going to talk about like partnership as opportunity, but at the beginning, it can be a liability too, uh, which is why I want to quote a famous Chinese proverb. It's Chinese, see, they start everything. A partnership, <laughs> famous man once said, a partnership is a sinking ship. And I repeat this often because I do see, I know the partnerships are explosive. I mean, Ian, if we weren't partners, I probably wouldn't be here today. Who knows what I'd be doing? I'll tell you what, I would, pro I would probably be chewing with my mouth open. That's what happens when you don't have a partner. You just start, you just start chewing with your mouth open, right? You have somebody to keep you in check. That's a great point. And, you know, I probably wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my partnership with you. So I do understand the benefits and I understand why people want to get into them. On the other hand, I see more corrosive partnerships out there in our community when I meet people than I do see positive ones. We were in a partnership with a third partner when we first started our business, I think back in around 2007. Yeah. Uh, and this partner was uh, primarily a financial partner, but he also had some infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and uh, we needed that infrastructure to start our business as it is today. Long story short, we partnered for something that we could have probably purchased. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, you know, there's a bunch of problems. One is that we were in a completely different financial position than this person. And that's okay if you're taking on a financial partner, but the amount of equity that we sacrificed was way too high for what we got in financial return. And so I think one of the biggest issues with partnerships is managing resentment. So there's a difference, I guess, in, in, our, in our situation between like taking seed money or taking investment money and then actually taking on a partner for that seed money. Because what happens is you make that money back in two years or in our 
case, I think it was actually less than that. You make the money back and then you have to continue to write the checks out to your third partner. Yes. Um, for a service essentially that was rendered and paid off within the first year. Yes. So for us, we could have just taken out a loan and probably would have been in a better position because then we wouldn't have that kind of resentment uh, writing those checks. Yeah. And this is the critical difference between traditional startups, 10x startups and lifestyle businesses or, or bootstrap startups. Look, you know, even if you're making half a million dollars a year and you've got a 25% partner, that check freaking hurts. It hurts to write that every single year. And it, you know, whereas when you're starting Tumblr, right, and you get bought out for 10 mil, yeah, okay, you write your 250, you know, half a million dollar check or rather quarter million dollar check and you've got your big cash win and you're out. But when it, when it comes to that every day, you're on the phone, you're doing the hustle, and then you're just bleeding cash out to somebody who really did nothing but sh showed up with the, the funding. That's really difficult to do. And that's part of the reason why when people ask us, like, why don't you do a lifestyle business in incubator? So you don't incubate lifestyle businesses. <laughs> you go out there, you get a loan, and you do them. And look, I'm not saying you can't have a money partner. What I'm saying is, you know, don't overvalue that money, number one, and give yourself an out. You know, we didn't have a clear plan for success. We never visualized, all right, let's say we're making that half a million dollars a year. Who's getting all the money? What is everybody doing? What is the understanding at that level? And I think that's the biggest mistake we made in our stories. We thought, hey, for all three of us, we thought it worked out just great at the beginning, right? Because we weren't making any money. It was better than our previous position. So we just thought, hey, that'll work out fine. Well, the second thing that you said there, I think, is maybe even more important, Dan, which is we didn't plan for success. So it, at first, it was a great arrangement, right? We had a nice little business on our hands, but we didn't plan on the kind of success that we're having today. And why would we? We were a bunch of bozos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the biggest uh, mistakes that people make. We already talked about partnering for something you could pay cash for. This is like a classic business partnership maxim, and I love it. Don't partner for something that you could pay cash for because ultimately the equity is going to cost you more. And I think this is why uh, in How to Get Rich, Felix Dennis is just, he writes an entire chapter about equity and how critical it is because that's what's really valuable if you're growing a business. It's the ownership that counts the most. Um, and it's going to, if you're building a successful business, it's going to cost you a lot. And if it costs you a lot and someone's not putting in a lot, you're going to build resentment, which is going to corrode the entire business, it's going to corrode the amount of effort that you feel comfortable giving to the project. And that's what we're trying to guard against. Ultimately, what's worse than wasting your money is wasting your time. Totally. It was heartbreaking for me to work on something when I cared about it, like way more than other people cared about it. That sucked. Totally sucked. All right. Number two biggest mistake I'm seeing, Ian, is I'm seeing people partnering on side projects that require a ton of time. I'm just not a big fan of you've got a primary business or you've got a job and then let's do something on the side that requires time input. I think that's pretty small ball, man. I think, look, if you're going to do something on the side, you should be peeling off resources, whether that's sharing a list or a little bit of cash or maybe, you know, maybe someone on your staff can do something. But all the time I'm seeing people, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I think people constantly overestimate how much they're capable of getting done. When you get in a partnership, uh, you really have to make sure that you still have your flexibility, right? And I think a lot of people, they get in these like little side projects because they feel like they still, it still affords them a lot of flexibility. So they're like, oh, I got my main thing going on here, but I'm just going to partner with Dan over here on this smaller project because I feel like it can pop me some cash and I'll still have my flexibility to work on my main project, right? Yeah. 
you know, if you're partnering on a side project that demands your time, generally it demands it in a certain kind of modality, like, oh, well, I'll just do the sales for that. And the problem is as entrepreneurs, like, first off, that's basically signing yourself up for a job. That's why I think this is this kind of thinking small ball. Like, really, you can't come up with a better way to spend your time than, you know, uh, siphon it off to all these side projects. You're going to change the way you're going to want to spend your time as your business and your career progresses. So I just don't see that as a sustainable. So I think you nailed it when you said that's not a flexible enough arrangement. That's why instead of focusing on partnering on side projects with your time, I'd focus instead on resources. So cash, staff, infrastructure, whatever. Number three mistake we see, partnering for emotional insecurity or fear. Dan, I want you to go down with my ship, basically. (laughs) Look, I know that it's scary to start a business. And I know that it sucks to get through the dip by yourself. And that's why I'm all for accountability partners or for you know group therapy sessions, whatever you can get your hands on. But if you're going to spend 50 cents on the dollar for this kind of thing, it's too expensive. If that's the sole reason you're doing it. So, you know, this is a tough one. This is one that I see people going for a lot and I would advise against it. Number four, partnering with somebody who has different financial goals and situation to you. This was another mistake, Dan, that we made at the beginning uh, with our first partnership was we all weren't kind of on the same playing field. And I think you, you started to explain that. But one of our partners was much more wealthy than uh, you and I were. Right. And they had a family and they had some businesses going on and things like that. We're like we were just in a different stratosphere. Right. Yeah. And uh, one of the cool things about our partnership, Dan, is uh, we actually like check each other quite often to make sure that our lifestyles are still kind of going in the same direction. And uh, I think that's really important to our partnership because it means that we're willing to spend our money on kind of similar things, right? Partnering with people that, you, th- that you're going to grow together with, that you see yourself succeeding with down the line, I think is really important. Yeah, when we, we took on a new business partner, and we can talk a little bit about that, uh, Jesse. And that was one of the questions that we all talked about openly. You know, we needed to know where everybody was at. Um, because, you know, it's like, um, you know, my brother-in-law works for the government. And he works in a high-level situation. And I said, man, what are they asking you about? Did you ever read the Koran or what's going on? You know, and he's like, you know what they care about? Debt. Debt. <laughs> yeah, I think the exact question I asked Jesse was, uh, so if we get sued for $100,000, can you help pay for that? <laughs> you know, and, and so, it, it. I mean, these are the situations that are driving people. So it makes sense to understand them. And look, being in a business, growing a bootstrap business is a tough financial position to be in. I was talking with Dan Taylor last night over dinner. We were talking about, do you remember how intense it was when we didn't know if the business was going to go green or red? Remember how scary it was? <laughs> was this last week? Yeah. Is this what we were talking about last week? <laughs> and when you're in that, like, you're, I mean, literally, you're putting everything into entrepreneurial survival. And then you've got one guy who doesn't even care about that, who a distribution doesn't mean much to him or this or that. Uh, people have different goals or people have debts, uh, things that they need to get done. Meanwhile, you're trying to uh, grow the business and they're trying to pay off the tax man. These are things that you need to account for in your business partnership because they're going to come home to roost. I saw a um, business relationship go south a couple months ago. One of my good friends, he got involved with a couple other good friends. And he was the only one in the partnership that uh, had a job, had a full-time job. The other guys were pretty resentful about that because 
well, number one, he would work less, but that was in part of the agreement. But number two, he had less to lose, right? So like these other guys, they were making their living off this startup and he wasn't, he had a full-time job. That actually was the cause of the partnership dissolving, right? Is because they didn't feel like he had enough skin in the game. Whether or not that was true, it didn't really matter. That's the way they felt about it. Well, let's get moving on to the solutions then, Ian, because I was just talking to Dan downstairs about this and and he was telling me about a bunch of situations he's been in and we kind of resolved this little maxim, which is that managing resentment is one of the most critical parts of sustaining any business relationship. You know, and one of the things that the AdSense flippers, they have this great concept called the race of who can do less. Uh, and, and it often happens like if I see you uh, maybe not working so hard and we're in a certain kind of business relationship, maybe what I'll do is start to back off of my input as well. Uh, and, and again, it's not about the money. It's about wasting your time. I mean, it's a real, it's a shame to be in a situation where you're trying to figure out how you can modulate your input into, this is, I mean, these are, these are our businesses. These are our passions. These are our, our, our work. And the last thing you want to do is have a structural situation that makes you feel like you need to be backing off. Right. Uh, one of the things that we did when we just started a recent uh, partnership, Ian, is uh, we created uh, an MOU, a memorandum of understanding. And actually, uh, Jesse said that to me. And I was like, what's an MOU? I had to go wiki that stuff. And this is basic a document that's extremely clear. All right, Ian, there's a, there's a few key parts to our MOU. The first one is it lists all the partners, what their input is in terms of resources. It describes the nature that that input will take. So, you know, if you expect someone to work five hours a week on the business, you know, you better say stuff like that. Of course, we're, we're trying to stay away from the time inputs because we're very sensitive to that. Instead, we're focusing on resources, deliverables, and results. Um, and the other thing, you know, it basically states the principles under which the business is going to operate, um, the kind of business you want to achieve, the kind of results you want to achieve, and different benchmarks so for reevaluation. So, look, yes. things change quite often. At the beginning of the business, it might be no problem that I spend X money flying to meet somebody about the new business. But two years from now, I might want that to be expensed on the business. Well, at what point are you going to discuss those issues? And what we've got is we've got revenue benchmarks in place. So it's like, hey, at monthly revenue X, we've got to sit down to talk about X. And, you know, so those are the kinds of, of details that are included in our MOU. And I mean, it's just a great structure for conversation to have it out at the beginning so it doesn't turn into this resentment kind of thing of what's he doing, what's he doing. It's on the document. And of course, the hope is that this thing hockey sticks and it's worth all of our time. But I think the idea is that that expectation is set out at the very beginning, that we're concerned about these issues and that they need to be on the table for discussion. Yes. All right. So that brings me to another solution that we've used in the past, and we've called the marriage model partnership. Um, you know, I asked my mom, I don't know who it was, my mom or somebody told me that if successful relationships require you to put your partner first. But basically the way it works is that we are not allowed financial interests outside of our umbrella corporation. Our umbrella corporation has a process, the way that we interact together, it has SOPs that regards to financial, to human resources, to the ways in which we discuss things about business. And look, you can't go get a, an apartment complex in Detroit. You can't go start a business blog on the side. Um, you know, if you start iansrandommusings.com, uh, I get 50% of that unless otherwise discussed. 
Yes, and we talked about this a bunch of times, Dan, and, and the reason actually isn't because uh, I don't want to watch you get wealthy or you don't want to watch me get wealthy. It's so we both get wealthy, right? And and so and also, so we're both incentivized to work on projects that we feel are valuable, right? So if I want to go start a speed shop in Miami, we're going to have a real hard, heart-to-heart discussion about whether or not that makes sense for us as partners uh, with relationship to the projects that we got going on and the income that we got going on. So it doesn't mean that I can't go start that speed shop. It means that it has to be in the best interest of the relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the marriage model is also this idea of like this, these businesses are big deals. And we do recognize that by partnering, we get so much more, you know, rubber to the road. We get a lot more resources on these projects. And so we have that incentive to identify things that we both can participate in. I want to talk about one more thing about the marriage model here, Dan, too. And I think this is important. I was actually talking to Jimmy Hayes of Manal. Uh, they got a cool new product coming out here soon. But um, he was here in San Diego the other day, and we we're kind of talking about this marriage model. And uh, I think him and Doug have a similar relationship to us. And one of the things that really works for us that you've uh, vocalized a lot, uh, quite often is this idea that we don't work on the same things. So in the beginning of our business, I think we did a little bit more, but now we absolutely just don't do it. Yes. I mean, we each have kind of our own projects going on and we each kind of lend an ear and we each kind of help each other uh, where it's needed, but we don't work on the same tasks. So there's never any of this question of like, well, are you doing that or am I doing that? It's like very cut and dry and clear. And I think that that really helps um, with our relationship, you know, uh, we're not all over each other all the time. It's interesting because I'll share with you, I'll share, I'll do some inside LBP baseball. I'll share the last time I got angry with you. And, um, it was such a small thing, but I think it brings out this idea of like, first off of how much of a jerk I am, but also second off the ways in which we're used to working together. Um, there was this one issue that I was in writing and on paper in charge of. And one day you just had some extra time. And so you sort of, you know, moseyed across the tracks and you were just trying to be helpful and you did something that was useful, but it ended up screwing something up. I think I hit the delete button. Is that right? You hit the delete button on something. And I remember I just blew a mini fuse for like 10 minutes because my attitude is part of being an entrepreneur is about like emotional responsibility and like, what are you in charge for? And like, what kinds of results are you responsible for delivering? And those are things that can be difficult to share you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, it, it can be nice, like me and you, we go out, we make the catch, and then we come together and we, we, we exchange notes. And then we, we share the strategies and then we go back out into the field hunting. And sometimes like when there's a crossover, you can, you can build these like mini resentments. Like, hey, if he's doing it, you know, my attitude is like, if you're gonna do it, please, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry that I spended my energy on it. I'm sorry that I took emotional responsibility for it. I'm sorry that I thought about it because I could have been thinking about other things. It's possible that if me and you collaborated on every single thing, we would see a percentage more refinement or improvement on those tasks. But think about the upside we would sacrifice doing that by being able to merely swap strategy and financial notes and then go out and kill it on different sorts of projects. Part of what makes me think is more important is, and maybe something that we undervalued at the beginning was the enterprising spirit. And just partnering with someone that you have a friendship with or a respect for and who shares the enterprising spirit because they will figure out how to do things. Yeah, no And doubt. they will take feedback and they will improve. So 
you know, today it's me that does not understand this Hong Kong PL we were looking at. At the beginning, it was you. But at no point during the entire relationship did it matter because it's more a matter of, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we going to get it done? And that's always that's the question. It. I think there's a huge opportunity for people uh, that don't have a lot of resources, young bootstrappers, to cut deals with people that are a little bit farther along. And I think, so I don't wanna be the anti-partnership person. Um, you know, you look to people like, uh, people that are a little bit farther down the road, they've got tons of resources, maybe they've got a list or a customer segment that they're not monetizing in a way that you could focus on and bring a ton of value to the table. I think there's a lot of value in proposing limited partnerships or joint ventures that have a timeline. Maybe they have a, look, let's try this out for, for this. And then, you know, you don't have to seal the ultimate deal, which is anxiety producing at the beginning. Start with one deal, build trust, build the relationship, and then you could have a, a, a new business on your hands by leveraging what someone else has already got. So I do think that there's an opportunity for that kind of thing. Boom, little JV, JV. Little JV, all right, man. I think we're well team. Let's get moving on to just the tips. Instagram, didn't understand the whole picture thing. It's not the way that I communicate. You know, here's my, here's the steak I just ate, Instagram. But they added the video feature to uh, fend off uh, the incursion from Snap, or the incursion from Vine, or I don't know what the strat, the strategy is all I know is that now I love Instagram because going and seeing uh, the, the interface is beautiful and seeing my friends seeing videos from their life it's like a it's like a window into their world it's it's almost you know, spiritual it's crazy you know since we're since we're uh, partners I feel I feel obligated to tell you something people are talking behind your back Dan about the amount of filters you apply on Instagram what's that mean you can only apply I'm just one. saying, you can maybe, only... maybe you're being very generous with the filters and maybe you just need to turn it down a notch. <laughs> Dude, you can only... <laughs> this is a word on the street, man. I've had a couple people tell me about your filter problem on Instagram. You can just only put you know. one filter on the photo on Instagram. So I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> maybe I'm just catching the light right, buddy. <laughs> Noted. All right, so uh, another couple quick things I want to mention. Um, I've started traveling over the last month with a uh, with a rubber band, with one of those uh, like a, a GoFit large workout rubber bands, and I found that like for pool and row exercises, it's very difficult to work out your back when you're on the road if you don't have machines, and uh, this is cheap, travels well, and uh, yeah, super fun. You can get a full body workout, do the convict workout with the GoFit Superband. So if you're a traveler and you're looking to get a little bit more workouts in, definitely recommend that. And finally, speaking of traveling, Gmail Offline, Ian, I've, uh, I've done the testing. Um, it works fantastically. Of course, when it, before a lot of people got turned off to Google Offline stuff because they were using a technology called Dry, uh, rather, they were using a technology called Gears. And what yeah. they did was they discontinued Gears and they moved it all into HTML5. That's what I read on the interwebs. I don't know if it's true. All I know is that Gmail offline is good to go. So if you want to do some emails on the airplanes, uh, just go and install the Chrome extension. Gmail offline works great. Hey, Dan, we might be getting a little long in the tooth here, but I just wanted to add one more tip. 
that I noticed. Uh, we are a Gmail team. We use uh, Google Apps for business. Um, and we also use uh, Google Docs. And one of the things that we were doing the other day, and uh, we have this document in, uh, or rather the spreadsheet in Google Docs, and we were going through the revision history, which is something that we do often because it's kind of this living document. Uh, turns out Google reserves the right to delete revision history at any time without notice. So went back six months and they had started to snip it. I think they call it snippet. So be careful if you're keeping your data in Google Docs. It might not be there forever. Great tip, buddy. Uh, and an ode to you, good sir. Uh, the music today, I know how much you like country. Uh, this is the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band with a little ditty called Partners, Brothers, and Friends. And uh, I would call you all three, good sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy Fourth of July, everybody, and we will see you next time. Yeah, to all our good friends out in the audience, we hope you'll join us next Thursday morning on the LBP. Booyah! Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Check it out at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do, plus give you immediate access to episode 1 through 100 of the LBP. It is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We'll see you next Thursday morning. It's great to be a part of something so